from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And this ends the reading of God's word. Of course, we looked at that last or two Sundays ago in detail. And uh, the Lord sends angelic host to declare the birth of his only begotten son to the lowest rung of society in that day. Shepherds look down upon thought to be a traveling band of thieves. And the Lord in grace condescends and reveals um, the birth of the Christ in Bethlehem. That was the sign they went and they rejoiced. And we'll continue that glorious narrative on this morning. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you this evening. Um... We're a word-centered church. Our, our focus is really to um, exposit the Word of God, the Bible. Uh, my job isn't to prove God. I don't have to do that. Um, he's already shown himself. We declare his truth. So I'm reading um, from the inspired Word of God um, this evening. Our focus will be Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'll read it, and I'll pray. And then we'll spend the rest of our time um, looking at the text in detail. And then we'll close with the song and you'll go celebrate with your families. Sound good? Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler 
who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. And I'm going to pick up a couple extra verses for you here for free. <laughs> now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, and that is, out of Egypt I called my son. Scripture, Old Testament prophecy after Old Testament prophecy, fulfilled, 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 fulfilled in the Christ. Jesus the Christ. It's not his last name. Christ means royal anointed one, the promised one, the messianic hope. God's only son, savior. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And I do ask now for your grace to enable me to communicate it with clarity and that you would grant um, all of us ears to hear and hearts to understand that you be glorified and everyone here would be I'm greatly edified. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Uh, well, the momentum of the Christmas season has arrived. We've felt its momentum since Halloween, at least in Home Depot. <laughs> Christmas trees are out, right? October 31st, November 1st. Uh, but that momentum has reached its height here this evening, Christmas um, Eve, we have all the lights and the trees and the music and all your favorite movies. I have my favorite movie. I'm sure you have yours. And all the traditions that go along with Christmas, it's a very exciting time. We all love this time of year. Most of us do anyhow. And we, there's much to get excited about. There's a lot of warm feelings, a lot of sentiment, um, a lot of great memories and so on. Um, but behind all the glitter um, is the reason for the season. And this evening, um, a passage um, very, very familiar to most of us um, is unique to Matthew's gospel, which means it's not recorded in the other gospel narratives. And we often see um, this scene, the one we just read, depicted 
um, in our homes, you know, in nativity scenes, front yards as you were driving in, you probably um, spotted one or two. And, and, and it shows typically three magi, otherwise known in, as wise men, who appear with the shepherds um, at the manger um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, newsflash, none of that is correct. Okay, scripture is correct. Now, you don't have to go throw your nativity scenes away. I have a couple in my home, and the shepherds um, are there along with the magi. But um, in scripture, there's nowhere that we read that there were um, three magi. There could have been a hundred. There could have been a dozen. We're not told. Um, in, in all likelihood, they did not appear with the shepherds um, on the night Christ was born, um, as we shall see. You know, you will often hear about these travelers um, depicted with this very familiar phrase this time of year, and that is, um, wise men still, still seek him. Wise men still seek. It's a great statement. I love it. Every time I see it, I rejoice. Because I'll tell you, most people silently wonder um, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Uh, why was I born? What's my purpose? And most importantly, what happens when I die? What's the meaning of life? Those are great questions. Where and in whom, if there is anyone in whom um, I can find the answer, who is he? Okay, what, what is it? It's right here. It's right here. It's the gospel. Gospel means good news. There's good news because there's bad news. The bad news is um, we're all going to die. And then we're going to stand before the creator. And in order to enter in to the joy of the creator, an everlasting life, um, he, he demands a perfect sinless life. He doesn't grade on a curve. He demands holy perfection. That's not good news. That's bad news. The good news is he sent a substitute to do what I can't do, to do what you can't do. That is his only son, eternal second person of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He sent to this earth in time. And on time, according to all the Old Testament prophecies. And in the fullness of time, he was born of a woman, born under the law. And he upheld that law perfectly and sinlessly. And then, as we had sung earlier, he became the propitiation of God, which means the satisfaction of God. Because not only did he live a sinless life from this moment, his birth until he was crucified on a cross. The reason he was crucified on the cross is he was providing that propitiation. He was satisfying the, the Holy Father's justice against sin and sinners as the perfect sinless one. And based on that work and his death, he conquered sin and death by raising from the dead the third day as the scripture said he would. This is not a myth. This is history and history is his story. He conquered sin and death. He ascended. And he'll return again in judgment. 
the message to be declared is this one, good news. The good news is by repenting of unbelief and placing your faith and trust in him and not yourself, when you take your last breath, you'll enter into the presence of the Lord. By the substitutionary sacrifice and perfect record of the son who lived in your place and died in your place, was raised in your place, and because you're in him, you'll also be raised into glory for eternity. That's the hope that we need. That's the hope that's been fulfilled in this one. Scripture says that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm not one of many ways. I am the way. That's the good news. So here he is, he's born. He enters into this world. And these, these magi, these are pagan stargazers, as we'll see in a moment. The Jews who were expecting him, the majority rejected him. And as the Old Testament prophesied, his light would go out to the nations, and the nations would, would, would move into Zion and worship this king. Isn't this amazing? Can you make this up? You think you can make this up? Who could, what man could make this up? No man. So here, the savior of the world has entered. So at Christmas time, typically, uh, many people are very sentimental, and that's a good thing. But unfortunately, many people view the savior as a kind of, you know, mystic um, um, Santa Christ. I opened up in our series a few weeks ago, quoting one writer who said this. Um, he, he's kind of a mystic Santa Christ in the mind of some who um, he's here to add to our comforts. Most people don't really care whether, whether the story's true or not. That is that the Bible's history is redemptive history. But their primary concern is having the spirit of Santa Christ. And if you have the spirit of Santa Christ, um, all is well. But the writer goes on to declare that Jesus did not come to add to our comforts. He did not come to fill life with more pleasant experiences. He came on a deliverance mission. I came, Jesus said, when Jesus grew up from being a baby, a boy, into manhood, and he commenced his public ministry, he said this, I, the son of man, which is a claim of deity, by the way, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him and not themselves, they will not perish, but they will have everlasting life. I came, said Jesus, that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, that's certainty and that is hope. Hope. That's true hope. That's not hope and hope. That's hope in, in, in substance. So here he is. Okay, let's look at the account. Now, verses 1 through 12, Matthew chapter 2, um, serve several purposes for us. Um, first, it serves as um, in, in an apologetic purpose. It's an apologetic purpose. Um, Jesus, when he grows into manhood, he commences his public ministry and he goes about preaching and teaching and doing miracles and all. He's known as Jesus of 
Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene. Now we see this in verse 23. He came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called the Nazarene. But Jesus is uh, not preeminently from Nazareth. Obviously came from heaven. He took on human flesh and he was born in the city of David. As the Old Testament prophesied, he would be. And that is Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. Come down to heaven. Feed on me and you'll have eternal life. Drink of me, I'm living water, and you'll have everlasting life. Feed on means believe in, trust in. So here he is. Born in Bethlehem as prophesied 700 years before Jesus came. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem. Ephrathah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So the, the, the birthplace of Messiah is just another demonstration, beloved, of God exalting the lowly in humbling the exalted. He's the exalted one who, who, who came to lowly places. The earth, let alone the womb of a woman. So Jesus had to be born of a virgin, by the way. He's God in the flesh. Because all mankind are, have sin. We're born sinners. You don't have to teach a child how to sin. My mama didn't have to teach me how to sin. She didn't have to teach me how to say no. She didn't have to teach me how to rebel. Natural. Natural. So Jesus had to be born of a virgin because he had to be truly man, but at the same time, he was truly God in order to do what we can't do. And here he is. He's the root and offspring of David, as was prophesied. He's the root of David. He would come through King David's line. David was the greatest king of Israel. Through David would come Messiah. He's the root of David, creator, that d defines his deity. And he's the offspring of David. He's a descendant of David. That's his humanity. And he will come, the Lord said, through David, who was savior of the world. Now, in this text, you think about Solomon. Who, 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 what king um, had the greatest empire in Israel? It was David's son, Solomon. Forty years of peace, richest man that there's ever been, the wisest man that has ever lived, other than Jesus Christ himself. But the Lord here resembles Solomon. Solomon, in a sense, foreshadows to some degree, our Lord Jesus Christ, because Solomon's kingdom, remember, was, was renowned and unparalleled, so much so that the Queen of Sheba came with an entourage bringing gold and all kinds of spices. And she was blown away by Solomon's kingdom. It was one thing to hear about it. She said, I'm tripping now that I see it to put it in the vernacular. And besides that, you know what Jesus said about Solomon? Referring to himself in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 42, something greater than Solomon is here. The king of kings. He has arrived. Now another prophecy fulfilled in this account um, was given to Balaam. I read from it earlier in the service. Um, he, he was a pagan profiteering prophet for hire. And Balak, this king of Moab, um, hires this guy 
to, to, to curse Israel. Remember the, you remember the account? And yet God, according to his sovereign purposes, causes him to be unable to curse Israel, but instead he's, he's forced to speak truth. And he prophesies that a star would arise out of one of the 12 sons of Jacob, of, of Jacob and that, you know, Jacob's name was renamed by God Israel. And through one of those sons, a star will rise. And that prophecy is said to, to occur um, not until the last days, and the last days refer to the days of Messiah. And he arrived as prophesied. L look at the prophecy in Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheph. Now, the prophecy that will be fulfilled first will be shown through David, Israel's great king, and his victory over the Moabites and the Edomites. He'll crush them, prefiguring the greater conquest of the king of kings who will come, live, and die, God's true Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this earth in order to conquer the ultimate enemy, Satan. Satan. First John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. A liar and murderer from the beginning. Satan's greatest trick is to convince people he doesn't exist. <laughs> He's got no power over you if you're a Christian. He's got no power over you. Christ has conquered him by way of the cross. So look now in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Now, Magi is a Latin word um, derived from the Greek word magos. We got our word magic from it. Magi, they were students of the stars. And they blended together um, the science of astronomy with the superstition of astrology. These wise men, these magi. And their teachings became known as the law of the Medes and the Persians. And we read about this in Esther and Daniel. And you remember when Daniel was in exile, when Judah was taken into exile to Babylon, Daniel, God raised up this man of God to be a mouthpiece and a spokesman. And he interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and all this type of thing. Well, remember... In, in Daniel 2 and verse 48, King Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel master of the Magi. Now, perhaps his influence there was so deep hundreds of years before Christ was born that he actually started, uh, you know, some of those conjurers and clairvoyant stargazers into studying the Old Testament scriptures. And hundreds of years later, they know this promise and they begin this journey to Jerusalem because if you're going to look for a king of kings, where are you going to go? A king of Israel, where are you going to go? Jerusalem. And here they make their way to Jerusalem. And this is the beginning of what Isaiah prophesied with regard to Gentiles who would stream into Zion to worship God. So the logical place to ask the question, where is he born king of the Jews, would be Jerusalem, amen? So, 
here they are. Now, we also see and we also learn from this passage um, that Jesus is hated. He's always been hated. He's loved. He's hated. Herod hated him, and, and he will attempt to murder him in the next passage. We didn't read that far, but if you just read on, and that kind of echoes um, Moses and Pharaoh. Do you remember Pharaoh, when Israel was under bondage and slavery in Egypt, and they were multiplying greatly, Pharaoh was paranoid, and he feared that they may be overtaken. So what did he have? All the male boy, all the male children murdered. Moses is put into this little basket, and he survives, and he ends up leading them in the exodus out. Here, the greater Moses has come, providing a greater exodus than that. It's an exodus out of the bondage of sin and the consequence of which is death. So you see how the Bible fits together, beloved. So this is Herod the Great. He was born in 73 BC. Um, he, he's uh, um, in, in, in Edomium, which means uh, the, the Edomites of old. They were enemies of God. They hated God. The offspring of Esau. Offspring of Esau. These were bad dudes. They're bad cats. They, they hated God. And none of the Herodians that, that you know, they come from, they come out of the Edomites, um, none of them were noble men. This Herod, Herod the Great, killed his wife and killed his two sons. What a guy. What a guy. He was paranoid. He was a jealous puppet king um, under the Caesars. So he's given Judea and he serves, as I said, basically as a puppet king. But it's interesting that on the Senate floor, um, um, Augustus said of Herod, um, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Because if the throne was to be the sons, daddy will have him murdered. Amazing. So here now, um, Herod, while he's ruling over Judea, um, these magi arrive um, from the east, asking that the most egomaniacal, jealous, insane ruler of the day, who, who's a king in his mind, where's the king? Where's this great king? We've seen his star rising. So Herod, we read, is troubled. He's troubled. Now, don't think, again, this magi is three guys just walking in like then, prancing in like this. These are magi who come from the east. And they would have had most likely a small army with them um, in their journey because it was taking them into foreign territory. So you can imagine a small army on stallions, perhaps. So he hears this sound. And they come into town and he's troubled. And they're asking, where is he to be born king of the Jews? Thinking, I am the king of the Jews. Not only is he troubled, but all of Jerusalem's troubled along with him. Because if the king is troubled, uh, we ought to be troubled. Because we don't know what this lunatic will do. Right? Isn't it exciting? Are you as excited as I am? Say Yes. So here's Herod. He's, he's really a religious dipstick. So he, you know, he, he, 
he doesn't know anything. He doesn't want to know anything. So what does he do? He calls the Bible scholars of the day around him. That, that is the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the Sanhedrin. These are the men who are supposed to know the truth. And notice, they have a copy of the living scriptures. They knew what the Bible said, but obviously didn't believe uh, what the Bible meant by what it said. Where is he to be born king of the Jews? They give the correct answer, and yet they remain indifferent. Oh, the danger of apathetic familiarity. Because familiarity often breeds contempt. Contempt. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, go, search carefully for that child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Now, being from the east, they, they were not aware of his evil reputation. They didn't understand. But, but Herod's deceit is demonic. This is utterly wicked, crafty like a serpent, invoking God's name in a lie. I want to worship him too. So come and report. And then that sets the stage for Herod to act like Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of old, um, when he had all the children, all the male boys murdered in Egypt because here um, he's going to have every male child in and around Bethlehem um, slaughtered who are two years old and under according to the time in which the star appeared to the Magi, if you read on in the text. Verse 9, after hearing the king, they went their way and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And you know what's interesting? Not one of the so-called theologians followed them. These are Gentiles. The truth was given to the Jews first, and they were supposed to declare the truth to the world. They were to be a light to the nations, but remember they were so self-righteous that they kept it to themselves and they said, ah, oh, you Gentiles are nothing but dogs. That's self-righteousness. To think you're good enough to stand before God on your own merit as they did, that's self-righteousness. Grace dispels self-righteousness. We needed righteousness from outside of us and here he is. They don't follow. Exceeding great joy with whom? Gentiles from the east, not the Jews who had the truth. These are pagan astrologers from the east. And they have exceedingly great joy. Notice this Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Fulfilled. Notice now verse 11, after coming into the house, so the Magi come and they go um, into Bethlehem. And after coming into the house, notice it's not a manger stall. It's not a feeding trough where he was born, but it's a house now. And they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped pagan stargazers. Not the Jews who had the truth. They had the scriptures. Gentiles. Gentiles. 
Now, imagine this group. They're probably decked out in like new age gear, right? You know, crazy looking wizard hats and who knows what. And they go knocking on the door. And Mary opens up the door. And there's Jesus. He's probably no more than two. They look like Babylonian astrologers because that's basically what they are. And, 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 and they fall down to the ground. They lay themselves prostrate in an act of worship to this baby, this child. Now, whatever their motives may have been in the, in the, in the, in the commencement of their journey, they realized this child is one to be revered. And the Lord in his grace reveals this um, to them. So he, they, they, they worshiped him. They adored him. Uh, Matthew, notice, notice. Matthew is very careful in the account to say that the Magi worshiped him and not the child's mother. They worshiped him. Defined by incarnate deity. And then verse 11b, and then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Interesting. Look at Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6. Another prophecy, 750 years before Christ. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So they bring these gifts. Now, interpreters throughout the ages um, have typically viewed the gifts symbolically. Gold represents the royalty of this king. Gold always represents royalty, typically. And here, in context of the Messiah's reign, frankincense is used in worship. It was a scented gum that comes from a tree um, in the Near East. And here they bring it, symbolizing Jesus' deity. Royalty, deity, and myrrh. This is the most bizarre of all, because myrrh um, was a resin um, obtained from Arabia in Greece, and that, of course, points to our Lord's death because when Christ was crucified and they wrapped him in cloth and put him in the grave, what did they put in the folds of that cloth? Myrrh. So it represents gifts. It represents his royalty, his deity, and his death. But I don't believe the Magi knew that. They're worshiping the Lord um, in a way that was beyond them. They were doing much more than they realized at the time in bringing these incredible gifts. And by the way, gospel news, Jesus' death was no surprise. He came to die. That's why he was born, to do what I told you he came to do at the beginning of the service. So here we see these gifts. So these magi, they come with the information that they had. They look in Jerusalem for the king of the Jews. They're drawn by this light, as the Old Testament scriptures would say, or had said, rather. And here they are um, seeking, looking for, asking about this glorious king who's the savior of the world. And then verse 12, having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the magi left for their own country by another way. And then notice in verses 13 and 14. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Now what do you think the cost would be for going to Egypt for this very poor couple? It'd be very expensive. How are they going to fund the trip? Gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. Very, very expensive gifts. You see how God is in providential control of all this? Very ordinary people called by this extraordinary God to carry out his extraordinary plan. Two very, Mary and Joseph, very ordinary people, very poor people, born in a stall in Bethlehem. And since from, from that night, they move into this house, apparently, and here they are as the Magi uh, work their way um, into town according to the scriptures, which tells us that Jesus is not only the savior of the Jews, he's the savior of the Gentiles, he's the savior of the whole world, of, of Jew and Greek and slave and free, male and free female, every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's why we don't try to prove him, we just declare him. <sighs> I don't have to prove anything. We declare the truth, and here, here the truth is declared. So the Lord gets the Magi out of there another way. Um, you can go on to read the rest of the account yourself. Um, this is going to infuriate this maniacal king, and he's going to have these children um, slaughtered in search of Jesus. And um, again, we see that God in his providential grace takes him down to Egypt. Once Herod's dead, God calls him out of Egypt, fulfilling another scripture, out of Egypt, I called my son. And he goes back to Nazareth, and he's raised there, and he grows in the wisdom of his father. He grows in the wisdom of favor, uh, in the favor of God and men. And when it's time, he begins his public ministry, calling people to himself to come follow me, I am the giver of life. I provide eternal life. Trust in me, believe in me, and you too shall have eternal life. So here, friends, let us remember, um, Jesus is not some kind of mystic, mystic Santa Christ. He's Lord of all. <laughs> He's Lord of all. Just go search the scriptures. If you don't understand that, just go search the scripture. You can see how all this fits together. But um, Matthew wants us to see a couple things here to close up. Again, these Gentiles came in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. One after another is fulfilled in Christ um, long, long ago, God gave a promise to Abraham, and he said, through your seed, that is, through your offspring, um, one will come. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So in that day, it was this one little covenant group, people of God, Israel. And then from out of there, the gospel spreads worldwide, and it continues to spread to this day. So here then in response, what do we do? The question is this. This text is to drive home a very significant truth. Who are you with? Don't say my son or daughter, but who do you stand with today with regard to eternity? Do you stand with Herod, who was a Christ hater? He hated him. Herod was a self-worshipper. He, he thought he was autonomous, a self-governing individual. I'll do as I please. I'll worship where I want, what I want, how I want. He hated Christ. That's one group. Or do you stand with the indifferent? The very, very religious but incredibly self-righteous Jews who knew the truth but thought they were good enough to stand before God on their own merit. And they were indifferent with regard to Christ, the promised one. They knew what the text said. 
where he would be born, but they didn't believe. Or are you with these Christ-worshiping Gentiles, the least likely of all people? Isn't it amazing that God saves the just least likely? Hello? <laughs> are we not in a room filled with the least likely? I'm the least likely. We're all least likely. Christ-worshiping Gentiles who acknowledged him rightly, correctly. They worship and they bow down. Amen? So let us not, beloved, this Christmas or any Christmas for that matter, confuse the Lord Jesus Christ with any kind of mystic Santa Christ-like figure. He's Lord of the universe. Christ, Savior, King. Merry Christmas. And I mean it. I love you. Children, thank you for leading us in worship. Thank you, Pacific Hope Church, for ministering to one another as you do. I love you dearly. I'm graced by God to be able to get up here every Lord's Day and declare his truth and the fact that you love it and you feed off the truth and you grow thereby is an incredible blessing. So thank you. Let's thank God together and we'll go out in song. Father, we do thank you for the grace of the gospel. We do thank you for a redemptive history and how all these glorious, glorious Old Testament promises find the fulfillment um, in your son, the Christ, Jesus the Lord. So we praise you this Christmas. Pray that you'll bless each and every person here this evening. I pray for their time with family, with friends. Uh, we'll be filled with the joy, the exceeding joy that uh, these magi from the east experienced on that particular night. May you bless them and their families all the days of their life for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>